Welcome to the Developer Tribe, where we delve into the process and practice of coaches, educators, and beyond. This underpins our conversations with experts in their field, and today, episode six of season three, we're talking to our guest about theoretical considerations and practical implications for coaching adolescent players. Thanks for being here, however you got here, and with that, let's jump in. My guest today is a UEFA A license and advanced youth award holder, UEFA B license futsal holder, teacher and coach developer. She has worked in various roles for the English FA, spanning a long career so far, including as a regional youth development officer, as an affiliate tutor and county coach developer. She now finds herself at MK Dons FC uh, and recently completing the AYA course focused on supporting adolescent players, which I'm really looking forward to getting into today. It's with great pleasure we welcome Jackie Bushell to the pod. Evening, Tim. How are you? Yeah, I'm really well, thank you. Uh, just start off by telling us a little bit about your journey with the FA, because obviously that's where you've primarily worked. Um, yeah, so various guises. Um, also worked um, within the county FA as well. Um, so um, worked at the county FA as a girls, women's and disability officer. Um, really enjoyed that role in regard to like the development side um, and from there kind of um, saw a job. I was working actually in um, secondary education, so working with within a sixth form um, with um, students in the sports academy and saw a job advertised for um, a regional youth officer um, and it just kind of caught my eye in regard to it was a it was working with adolescents or in that age group which I find really fascinating um but also in regard to trying to address the dropout at that age at recreational football um so yeah applied for that unfortunately got the role um and that brought me into contact with um quite a few of the people that I might mention a little bit more as we go through this evening um because they've kind of inspired this little journey that I'm on at the moment um, and then I was fortunate enough from that role um, to progress to the county coach developer role, um, which was obviously fully um, immersed in coach development and player development and supporting coaches at grassroots level in regard to gaining their um, coaching qualifications from level one to UA for B. Um, but also because of my background, I did futsal as well. Um, so that's kind of where my FA journey started. Yeah, what a huge number of people you've impacted on 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 that journey so far. Um, but you you mentioned about you know adolescent players already, so clearly that that interest has been part of your journey for quite some time. I think um, when we obviously we caught up a few weeks ago, um, it kind of made me reflect a little bit in relation to like how I've got here, um, and I actually think it started like my very first role with children and young people. Um, and I, I worked as a play leader um, for Bernardo's and um, I just really engaged with that, the like the 11 year plus age group. And we had like a mixed play scheme. So it was children that were able bodied, but also children that had um, kind of some um, neurodiversity. Um, so like maybe had a learning difficulty or a physical disability. And I think it was it it's all stemmed from there. And like how to engage players or people um, in the same activity, but who have got different needs. So I think I think it 
it started then, which was my, uh, my first kind of employment, as were, but it was a vo- as a volunteer to start with. Yeah, so um, we we mentioned about the advanced youth award course, and you know, congratulations for for completing that. Um, I, I everyone that I know that's taken that course speaks so highly of it. I know that you, you choose a sort of project to go through. So was it an, a natural thing to just gravitate towards the teenage brain? Um, so at the time, um, I was fortunate enough to, an opportunity came up um, that we could apply as FA staff to go on to the AYA. Um, so I, it was like an opportunity that I couldn't miss because I'd really enjoyed the youth mods. Um, so it came up, um, we had to pay for it ourselves, we paid for it. I went on it and I was just fully immersed in this this program of learning. Um, it's, it has been one of my best learning experiences. Um, but as part of the AYA, for anyone who doesn't know, is you do have to do like some case studies in regard to the players that you're working with. But due to my role at the time, we were asked to link it back to our role. So I decided that I would um, link it to a CPD provision. Um, for my grassroots coaches that I was working with. So I had a coaches academy um, within Cambridgeshire and Huntingdonshire that I supported. Um, so I thought it's I'll, I'll deliver a CPD. But when we first started the course, I didn't actually know what that CPD was going to look like. I just knew that I was going to develop some form of CPD from the AYA. And I think it was on um, the... You do an introduction, you do your social block and then you do your psychological block. So they break it down into the four blocks. And I, I enjoyed the social block, um, but we got onto the psychological block and there is an aspect of it that looks at the teenage brain and teenage brain development because I'd chosen um, the youth development phase to focus on. Um, so, again, for anyone who doesn't know, um, when you apply for your AYA, you have to choose a phase. So you choose foundation um uh, youth development or professional development so I went for the um, youth development phase um, and as I said we spoke about we had a session on the teenage brain and what happens during the teenage brain and then we talked about growth spurts and maturation states and I was just blown away um, I literally um, was on the phone messaging my friend saying this is outstanding I know what I'm going to do now um, I, I found my little focus for my project <laughs> um, I'm away and I was like I was, just, I was just buzzing I was just like so engaged with it and it it just drew me in um, so that was kind of I hadn't made up my mind but then when I did that block it it just consolidated what I w- wanted to do and I think that came from the mods so the youth mod one two and three while I was on it I I did really enjoy that holistic view of working with the person not just the player and I think that um on the advanced youth award it just really grabbed me and I gravitated towards that that part of um players development and people development because for us as coaches or for anybody really you see a player or a person growing up you see their physical development but we don't actually know when they mature in regard to their brain development because it is quite vast yeah i was going to say that you know most of 
my experiences of uh, of coach ads the the more formal coach education the, you would get that presentation of you know long-term player development um so you'd see the the, the growth spurts the peak height velocities um and and really speak about this adolescent part in relation to those growth spurts so you know they, they, they might look a little bit like bambi on ice for a little for for a while you know they might lose some of their coordination but and and we'd speak about how that might affect them emotionally how it might affect them psychologically in terms of motivation but never really speak about what's actually going on in in the brain for them so you know what what were some of the, the the key messages that you were gaining from the AYA and that obviously gave you this desire to go and look at it further i think it was um it, there was one one little phrase and it was about the emotional um brain being five times more powerful at this stage than the thinking brain um and then that opened the door because a lot of um coaches had asked me how do you deal with behavior how do you deal with this how how do you deal with their behaviors how do you deal with their frustration your anger and then and it all became apparent with that just that one little phrase and and then as we went through the AYA it was like if you actually understand the emotion and the emotion that the person is going through and you can explain that emotion to them don't condone their behavior and you have to deal with their behavior. But actually, if you explain to them, this is what's happening, you're frustrated um, and it's showing itself in this way, shape or form. But you can, if you address it, you can deal with it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it, it you know, resonates with something I learned from my, my brother that has, has stuck with me for, for ages, which is to separate the person from the behavior. Um, which it, it sounds like you're doing, but we, you know we're going then a stage further in terms of well, really understanding why they're having that response. Yeah, and I think also it, there's, as I said, obviously the growth, your growth spurts and your maturation stages, you can see them, and it, it happens. Puberty happens. There's kind of like a set stage where it happens, but in regard to the brain development, it can happen between the ages of 5 to 20, 25. So your brain might not be fully formed until you're 25. Um, and so if you've got a group of 14 to 16 players, yes, you've got to deal with that maturation state, which might be flowing up and down. But then you also might have somebody who is, their brain is fully formed. Some of them who it's like half formed and some of them that it's nowhere near formed. And you've got to deal with those those three peaks and troughs as well. So not only have you got the maturation state, but you've got the de- the brain development state. And I think the CPD that I'm trying to evolve will help coaches um, in relation to understanding what happens through the brain development stages and give them some not necessarily skills, but give them some help or prompts that they can utilize during um, the planning stages for their session, but also some practical ideas that they actually can help. Um, one, re reframe players' thinking, because obviously the brain is developing, um, and as it's developing, they call it pruning. 
Um, so the pruning stages that the players are going through, it's like um, the grass is being cut so that the grass can grow back stronger. Um, so the pruning stages is where all the experiences that we have help form our, our own values and beliefs. Um, so the social world is really important at that stage. Um, and if we can link into that social world that those young adults are going through, you'll get more buy-in. So for me, that was really important that we link stuff to their world um, and how we plan, um, for instance, like scenarios and putting scenarios in that have happened in regard to the teams that they support, that you actually link it back to their world. You're going to actually help them in regard to their development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love using scenario games because it, it it does. It immediately puts them in that that state. It's obviously slightly, slightly fake, but you can see the difference, you know, in t- especially in terms of trying to deal with some level of competition, which is probably the main, maybe not the main, but it's, it's certainly one of the m- more prevalent parts of uh, encouraging certain responses, right, from adolescence. It's normally during those competitive moments that, that some of those more, more extreme reactions happen. Yeah, you get your frustration and your anger and all those right. kind of things. And because, so the, um, at, as they're going through that development, the prefrontal lobe, um, I, I, I try not to use too many technical terms because I'm not a scholar by any means. Um, so I try to keep it in, in a way that I can understand it and hopefully anybody could understand it. Um, so in regard to the front part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, that's where all of the problem solving um, happens. So in regard to the logic and the problem solving and decision making, it all happens there. But that's the last part of the brain to develop. So if a coach knows that and understands that, they can also add with their scenarios, they can add like those problem solving questions. So, OK, you're losing 3-1. What kind of formation might you use now to support your team getting back into the game? Um, how might we play? Do we press high? Do we drop and create a mid block? How are we gonna how are we gonna affect the game to get back into the game? So you can actually put the prompts in. They're actually making the decisions. You're not, but you actually are in a way because of the way you're structuring the the questions or you're structuring the scenario or you're structuring the session. Um, so actually you're in control, but the but they think they are. Yeah. Yeah, there's some some parameters around the, the the practice that you're you're hoping really will will go towards and guide towards certain uh, certain outcomes. Um, but within that, obviously, the players can can have their own ownership and some power over over what's going to happen, or, or perhaps not so much because <laughs> because they're just reactive <laughs> to what's going on, right? Yeah, but and and then that's where you as a coach become important because it's about one understanding where those flare-up moments can be and then two having a strategy that you can actually use to support that flare-up um but obviously if you if you can help building more problem solving and links to making decisions it's again going to help their brain development and they will become better problem solvers as they become older 
Yeah, that's brilliant. And and I mean, one of the things that I really became became aware of when looking at some of this adolescent stuff is that it's a it's another moment of high neuroplasticity in 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 growth that we we always think of that as as just being the the, the much younger players that you know that's the sort of golden age of of learning so to speak but that actually there's this this second part in in adolescence that you know there's a lot going on in the development of the brain and and as you say it's then as as coach can we be aware of that in order to help support it like you were saying in terms of problem solving and decision making and so on but but also in terms of well, kind of allowing them time and space yeah it's it's the second biggest growth spurt in the brain um so obviously when the brain from naught to three years you've got one big growth spurt and then the brain is fully formed at the age of um, between seven and ten um, so it's 95 percent formed at that age but obviously it's not fully developed so the brain might be a full-size brain but it's not fully developed so it can't it might not be fully developed until 25 as we spoke about earlier so in at that age so the golden age of learning we say like is 10 where they're sponges and they're soaking it all up but then as they grow over grow older and that second spurt within their brain happens they start the pruning shred stuff that they don't want so if they don't think it's relevant it will be gone so it will be pruned right the way back and it won't redevelop stuff that um they want to retain will be there but you might actually have to layer it up again so that's why spiral learning could is really important for them or the building box of learning that you're you're maintaining maintaining and maintaining and maintaining so um it's a chance to redevelop and support them in regard to reframing and regrowing new neuros um new neuros and increasing that myelin sheath in their brain so it is still really important for repetition um so in the foundation phase we always talk about that repetition don't we being important and grooving but it's as important probably more so more important at this age group in regard to that grooving because one when they're going through their growth spurt they become like the bambi on ice so if you're actually grooving again, you're getting them to use their body in a correct way. But then also you're creating a new pathway, which will actually stick in their head in regard to how they strike the ball, the decisions that they make, the movement off the ball, seeing the bigger picture, scanning in a 360, making decisions, um, talking to others, being a leader, all of those things you can actually help. And if we do it well it'll actually create lifelong learning skills not mm. just for short term yeah uh, and, and and again then talking about us as coaches and what our responsibility there is that actually the same practices over and over again like you explained in a, a sort of spiral curriculum that the that it comes back around not only the topic comes back around but but also the the same type of practice and um you know i've often spoken with with some some coaches about neurobiological economy and i think i think that's across the the span but probably most important in this age group that 
if you're constantly putting on different practices, and I've definitely been guilty of this in the past, if you're constantly putting on different practices, the, the energy is is going from the players in just trying to figure out what they're supposed to be doing. When And, you know, that might be useful in terms of perhaps some of that problem solving and perceptual skills and so on. But there's more that you probably want to get out of that session with regards yeah, yeah. to those skills that are more football specific. So it's it's important to, to keep similar stuff, isn't it? Yeah, you want to catch them in. So that's why games are really key. But when we say games, we don't mean 11 v 11. You can break down the games. So, for instance, I, I might start with an arrival activity, which is a 2v2. It might be a 3v2. So you've got creating overloads. So you create those little problems. But actually, the arrival activity can be led by them. So just writing something on the board, they come to the session, they can get on with it, but they're engaged straight away. There's a little bit of competition straight away, but you're actually giving them problems straight away as well. And then just build on those little games. So it might be a 2v2 in the arrival activity. Then you bring it up to a 4v4 for your, your leading activity where you can actually then start drip feeding the technical detail and then add a couple more players for the end game. So it's like 6v6, but keep it on a theme. Try and use different way. Don't just make it free play. Try to add in those constraints. Try to add in those challenges. Try to find individuals that might need support in regard to leadership. Make them the captain that day. Make Give them a, a, a job to do in relation to this. Here's a scenario. You deal with it. Away you go. Um, so use what they enjoy to support their development. And if you keep it as close to the game as you can, again, you're going to get repetition. Um, it's going to be more relevant to them. You'll get more outcomes because it is realistic and, and you'll probably get less conflict in regard to you and them. Yeah, that's interesting that you say com conflict between, you know, you as coach and the players and not, not between the players and, you mentioned before about, you know, and, and I certainly get it all the time where coaches speak about, well, how do I stop them from, from maladaptive or poor behaviors? You know, what, what, what do I do to literally prevent that? And that's kind of missing the point that, that those quote unquote bad behaviors are probably going to just turn up regardless right the, the more that we try to control it maybe the more that's going to happen right in terms of the the conflict between you and the player but you you know you spoke about those those flare-ups my, my opinion is working with adolescents that so long as they're safe and that there's nothing massively untoward going on that i'll, I'll probably leave them to it yeah if you challenge them at that point you're going to get more of a reaction for them. Um, so there's, it, it's like, don't nag. If you nag, you're go they're going to bite back. So again, like I said earlier, don't. Um, the behaviour is wrong. So if if they've crossed the line in regard to the behaviour, we have to deal it. But at that flare point, allow them to go and cool down. So give them a chill. Once they've calmed down, then bring them back in and say, right. You were frustrated there. You were angry there. That's not acceptable. Um, what were the reasons behind that? Have a conversation with them. But 
in regard to having a conversation with them, you have to build a relationship to start with. So getting to know your players and not just having them turn up for an hour and then send them home, but actually investing your time in understanding where they are, who they are, and like what their likes and dislikes are is going to benefit you in the long term. So relationship is really key and understanding what, what it is they're there for. So some of your players might be there to learn and develop. Some of your players might be there because their mates are there. And some of them might be there just because they want to get a kick about and have a, get a bit fitter. So you might have different reasons for people being in your sessions and you need to know why they're there because you might be challenging the one that just wants to come and have a kick around it, kick around and it's their release. That player doesn't want to know how to play in a 4-4-2 and how to change from a 4-4-2 to a 3-5-1 a, a or whatever system you're going to play. Um, so you need to understand, one, why they're there. Two, if they've had a flare-up, allow them to allow the flare-up to dissipate, then challenge them in regard to why it happened, what the reason is behind it, and then say and deal them with the behaviour in regard to it's unacceptable. Um, we don't deal with that like that here. Um, and these are the consequences. So there needs to be some kind of consequence, but they will challenge you. And if you allow it to continue, then they will have disregard for you because the boundary will be broken. Right. And therein lies the balance that, that we need to uh, be very careful with as coaches. And, you know, I, I suppose the, the, the main thing here is that once they've had that flare up, that we've got to create a system and a, an environment there where we do need to remove them, so to speak, from, from the, the, the practice, both for safety, perhaps, but also then to give them that, that space to, to, to regulate. We're not robbing them of that chance to regulate themselves, but that we've, we've got to make sure that it doesn't be seen as a punishment. Yeah. And I think that that, so, that quite often can happen, right? And the, the conflict then between coach and player. I think that's, again, so for me, I, I'd have like a timeout or a, like, I'll uh, say, so go and have a chill pill. So go and take your chill pill. Go and have a calm down. When you're ready, come back and you can join in. But at the minute, your behavior is unacceptable to be in there. So go and think about what you've done. And come back and we'll have a chat. And it's, but everyone will do that differently because that's in regard to how you are as a, a human being yourself and how you deal with the team. So you will have set your kind of boundaries at the beginning of the year, like most teams do. Um, but one, it's important that you do stick to those boundaries. So if you and the players have a code of conduct, I'd advise you at this age group to make sure that the players have a buy-in to that code of conduct. Um, so that the code of conduct is agreed by all parties. Um, and then if you do have a flare up, you can address it in regard to this is what we said as a sanction. You've agreed to this. You've broken this. Mm. But obviously, I wouldn't say that at that moment of the flare up because <laughs> it go ballistic. They might actually go into another stratosphere. Um, but if they've got buy-in to those codes of con conduct or their boundaries, then again, if they own it, 
they'll have more respect for it. And, and makes it easier then to say, we don't do that here. Yeah, exactly. In regard to challenging them and challenging their behaviour. Yeah. I, I mean, for, for my own part, something that I, I use quite a lot is I just call it a technical box. And, and and like you say, it's it's important that this isn't like sprung upon players that they, they've never seen it before. You know, they need some understanding of what, what it is. Otherwise, they will treat it like a punishment. But I would just have a box to the side that I can see out the corner of my eye uh, so that, you know, they're not they're not unseen with with a ball. And, and it would just say to the players, you know, you're welcome to go there if you want, if you need to do it, which, of course, none of them do to start off with. But if, if I need to, if I, if I feel like I'm not getting the best from you, then I will ask you to go and just spend a little bit of time over there. Calm down, chill, chill out a little bit. You can do whatever you like with the ball so long as it stays within that box. It's got to stay within that box. And then when you're ready, come back in. And I've often then found that the time will be really different, right? I mean, I've had loads of situations where then a player will go across, spend five seconds, come back. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready well you're not really are you you know because you can still you can see that they're still hot and they're still breathing heavy go on go go and spend a little bit longer and then other situations where you know they've been there for five minutes you know and, and you have to check in on it you you're okay you coming back oh, oh yeah okay yeah i'll come back you know they've kind of switched off a little bit but the the most beautiful moments of those that i've experienced has been when a player takes themselves into that area yeah. You know, and just as our oh, coach, I'm just going there. No worries. Yeah, come back when you're ready. I think also you um a lo- load of coaches now have like the um whiteboards and pens. So in regard to that little chill out zone, I might put a, t- a board and a pen in there. Mm. Or I might put a tactics board in there so that they can have a look at what we think about what they're doing and they might actually come back with a a scenario or a change of formation or they might use a whiteboard just to write down what's made them angry or like how they're feeling so again there's different we all work in different ways don't we like some of us like to do things um kinesthetically some of us like to to read or and it's the same in regard to when we're releasing that that frustration that anger um so i'd i might add a couple of extra things into into my little chill out zone but yeah, but but it's a it's a it's a great idea just to have that technical corner or the locker room, the changing room. Go have a little sit in the changing room for a minute. Mm. Not a real change room, but it's a little box. You call it what <laughs> right. you call it what you want, don't you? You call it what you want. Well, and that again is you know using the language that that relates to them, right? They know exactly what a changing room is, you know, and yeah. and, and can make that connections just as much as they do with a with a scenario game yeah it's it's that link into their world mm. so if you've got again that investment in them and you link it to their world and their social world in regard to what's important to them at that time so they might have like a place that, that they all hang out and that might be what you call your little area mm-hmm. and another part that's um quite interesting of the the, the adolescent brain or the, the you know adolescent development is that uh, at least commonly, they seem to to be more risk takers. You know, they're they're going to be a little bit more brash, I suppose, uh, and that means that often they might do things without thinking. 
And we as adults yeah. then look at them and go, you know, what are you doing? Like you cl- clearly haven't thought that through. But you know, that's quite that's quite common, right? They're more likely to do things without thinking them through first. Yeah, it's again, it links back to that prefrontal um, lobe because obviously that's the last bit to develop. They take more risks because there's less reasoning or planning. So they haven't planned or they don't, it might not, have, they might not have experienced that either. So your experiences help shape those kind of decisions as well. So the more experiences we can give them, the more experiences they will develop, the more um the ability they have to problem solve, the ability they have to understand what is a risk and what is not a risk. Um, um, and also in regard to that risk taking, sometimes their, their um, primary attachment changes. So when we're young, the primary attachment will be a primary caregiver. So it'd be like your parent or your carer. Um, as they go through this adolescent phase, they want to impress their peer groups or they they're looking for where they fit in in regard to their peer groups so their peers become that primary attachment because they want to impress those and they want to find where they are in the world in in their social group um and so sometimes they take more risk because they're trying to impress their peers um so it's it's in regard to one impressing peers and making friends but two because the prefrontal um, lobe is not developed so they don't understand how to plan how to think logically and what the what the risk is basically because they may not have experienced it um so again that it's linked to that prefrontal um lobe and that that being the last part of the brain to kind of develop in this age group um and i think it's 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 that shift it's a shift from impressing adults to peers so they want to impress their peers more so if we say oh no you shouldn't be doing that they go against it because they want to impress their peers right and and this again it's it's perhaps a slightly more indirect way of of coaching in those moments you know i i think i would often find myself saying to uh characters in those moments you know I know what you're doing. Yeah. And they kind of, yeah. what what do you mean? I, we don't need to say I, I know what you're doing. And it it's just enough, right? You and like you said, so long as you have a relationship with that player already, that's probably enough. You don't actually have to have the conversation or the conflict. Yeah, exactly. It's it's but it it all falls back into actually understanding them and where they are in regard to their development. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we come back. It's, to, it's kind to of like it's, it's a can of worms. It's a can of worms. We've opened. Yeah, well, of course, and I mean that's what makes this uh, this this so exciting and so interesting. I mean, what what would you say? Perhaps is the uh, besides the point of you know, as you said, the prefrontal lobe or prefrontal cortex is is, is not developed as much. So you know that that's going to affect decision making, rational thought, and logic. What, what what would be the key messages that you would want to give to coaches in terms of their practice? Because, you know, CPD, as, as we know, you know, the, the, the coaches, they, they want to know what's the practical implication. So, yeah, what, what would be the key messages there? So I think I'd keep it as near to the game as possible. Keep it 
realistic to the game as well. Um, so I know like sometimes you see games with four goals and stuff like that, and there's nothing wrong with it. But if you can keep it as near to the real game and real situations, that it will actually help them develop more. Um, look at ways in regard to how you can implement um, ownership and empowering them to drive some of the session. And that's not necessarily all of them, but it will be the ones that need that little bit more of um, confidence or to build their self-esteem because, again, they'll be going through peaks and troughs in regard to that. Um, specifically, when they're going through their growth spurt, they become less. They might become um, more self-conscious, so their self-esteem will dip. So it's about thinking about, how, okay, how can we utilise their skills in, in the session as well? Um, and I think it's in relation to the coach have um, have a backup plan um, and don't try to um, like flog a dead horse for want of a better phrase. Um, but it's like don't keep going at something if it's not working. Have an, have a backup because they it might just be that they cannot understand it at that time. They're not being um, they're not being belligerent. They're not being rude. They just actually can't process what you want them to do. So you need to either find a, a different way to explain it, or you need to simplify it, or you need a plan B. And, and that, that that last one can become a vicious cycle quite quickly, can't it? That you know you're yeah. you're trying to push forward a, a practice. And again, I've been guilty of it, trying to push a, a practice to to its sort of conclusion when it's already hit a natural conclusion. And then you get poorer behaviors. So then now you're having to deal with that as much as having to drive the practice. I mean, it just all goes wrong. Uh, yeah. you know, and we've all had those moments if we've been coaching for long enough. Yeah, so that that would be kind of like my big one. Try to have a plan A, B and C. And don't get bogged down in relation to the fact that um, you you want to get this is these are my three points that I want to get out and I'm going to get them out whatever. Actually, you might not be able to get them out. You might only be able to get plan um, point one out, um, and you you can revisit it again next week. Point two and point three. Um, but if you get that resistance, you're not going to get anywhere. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and almost going with them in terms of progression. The, 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 on that second one, I wonder if I can ask you a bit more that, you know, you said about own, you know offering ownership to certain players and perhaps targeting those that sort of need it more. Um, is there any issue in there in terms of then, you know, if you've identified certain players that have greater leadership skills or have greater organization organizational skills? Is there a worry there that if I'm only picking some of the the quote unquote weaker players in those areas, that I'm also then not supporting the continued development of the quote unquote better players? Yeah, I think that kind of links back to those strugglers, drivers, and copers, doesn't it? That we we spoke spoke about on like the beginning of the youth modules. If anyone has done their youth modules, you you need to to have. Um, development stages or um, constraints or key points for all of those groups 
So you might pick four players that you're going to work with. On So you're doing a session on possession. Um, this person needs to work on in regard to when to retain and when to risk. So you might give that person a challenge in regard to that. One person needs to um, be able to see the bigger picture. So you might be giving that person the leadership role in regard to communication in relation to when to keep and when to risk again. Um, then there might be someone who's struggling with their physical um, maturation state. So you might give them something, uh, another little challenge, the areas that they're moving in. So you might constrain them to certain areas on the pitch or you might make it bigger that they have to cover all the areas of the pitch. And then you do work with someone in regard to that psychological corner. So I'd link it in regard to don't just pick on one person, obviously. Pick on, not pick on, but um, <laughs> select a few players within your session and challenge them at different levels. And then you might, on the sly, keep one of them or two of them going for a couple of weeks. So it might just be, a kind of like a remark or a quote remember what you did last week try to do that again so you're not actually focusing focusing on them but you're giving them a little bit of positive reinforcement in regard to you did that really well last week see see what you can do this week think about how well you did last week where did you implement it can you try and take two players on this week rather than one can you drive a little bit further can you take that shot earlier so you're you're giving that positive reinforcement from the week before, but it's not actually a targeted um, a targeted challenge, whereas you might give somebody else a targeted challenge. And, and, and that is the challenge for us as coaches, that if we're bullseyeing players, selecting players, as you've described there, that it's not just a, a throwaway, one-off, this might work. You know, I'm going to use this tool of maybe giving a, a captaincy to the, the quiet kid. Um, without then understanding where that sits in the journey, you know, both forwards and backwards, that, that we're picking up on it as we as we go. Like you say, you know, next time round, you know, maybe some positive reinforcement or using the same kind of challenge again so that they get another bite at the apple. We've got to be more aware of kind of the the, the overarching journey that that player is going through. Yeah, I think I think um on when I deliver level two courses um obviously part of the level two was to um build a project around your team um and i just kind of kept highlighting to um coaches that you've you've got a team but in that team you might have 12 to 16 individual stories mm -hmm. so you've got to think about the story and where those individual players fit into your story um because they're the 12 individual like chapters within your one big storybook and how do each of the chapters link to your main final ending, as it were, in regard to what, what's going to happen towards the end of the year. So, yes, you've got 12 players, but the 12 players need to link. Those 12 players might actually link in twos or threes as well because they become units of play on the pitch. Um, and you need to think about their journey throughout the whole season, not just on one or two games. So the challenges or the targets that you set them have to be not just short term, but they have to be kind of long term. So they need to be seasonal rather than quick fixes. 
which is really difficult at this age group because they are going through so many changes. Right. And, and, and that's the point here that we, we can know more about what adolescence is and what adolescent players are likely to be going through. And that can help us in terms of our awareness and what we're yeah. noticing during working with these players, but that it's not this sort of one size fits all type type account, which, you know, sometimes that can be what happens when coaches uh, can find out some of this information. It's like, right, I'm going to apply this to everyone now. And, and th- there is some parts of this to apply to the, 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 the whole group of adolescent players, but with an understanding that, as you said, each individual story, each individual journey is going to be slightly different. Yeah, and it's in relation to that, when you get that, that um, spark, when you get that, that flashpoint, um, it's knowing, like again, also how you can maybe bring them down from that flashpoint. So as we've already discussed, some of them might need to go out and take five minutes in the chill-out zone. Some might take five seconds. Some might not even want the chill-out zone. They might just want to go and plug their earphones in and listen to their music, calm themselves down, and then come back in. So, again, it's different strokes for different folks, isn't it, in regard to like how we bring them back in and then how we challenge them as well within that. Yeah, I want to ask you one one last question on this because it's it's been posed to me before and, you know, I have my answer, but I'm more interested in yours. Uh, <laughs> that, you know, when, when we're speaking about this kind of thing and we're suggesting, you know, these different ways that you might allow players some some time and space to regulate themselves. Quite often the comeback is, but they can't do that in a game. And I, yeah, so that this is really, um, I know that you've had Sally Leiden on as a guest. Yes. Um, so obviously Sally and I have worked together um, for a number of years and actually she, she's supporting me in regard to some of the players that I'm working with at the moment in regard to that yeah. emotional regulation. So it's it's really it's really kind of weird that you've brought that question up. Um, but we've been looking at um, how they feel. So we've, when they come to training, um, I, I might just ask them, like, where, what zone are you in today? Um, and, and they might say they're in their red, might say they're in amber or green. So we've got three colours at the minute. Oh, sorry, four colours that we're working at in the minute with um, some of the under-18s that I'm working with. So we've got a blue, which is their chill zone. So when they come and they're in their blue, they're just like really relaxed. They're they're there. Green, um, that it's they're in a good place. They're ready to go. They're gonna get on the pitch and they're they're ready for it. Amber, they're a little bit conscious, a little bit concerned about something. And red, it's their flashpoint. They've gone, um, and we've we've got them to think about how they might get out of their flashpoint because we don't want them in the red zone. We need them in the green when they're on the pitch. We need them to be ready. Um, and all of them have got different methods. So I've got five scholars that I'm working with in regard to their education program at the moment. And all five of them have got different. So one of them, it is music. And he's got a favourite song that he will play or he remembers in his head when he's in that ambery zone. One of them, it's imagery. So one of them will imagine himself back into like a, a good place. So when he gets there, he imagines what he's going to do on the game. So he's going to dribble past four players and score in the top corner. Um, and then when he gets to that flash zone, he remembers that because actually when I'm like that, I'm, I can beat you. 
So it doesn't matter what you do to me on the pitch. If I'm in my green, I'm going to take you on and I'm going to beat you. One of them's into meditation. So he meditates every day um, and he's using that skill for on the pitch. So he, he will meditate and he will count himself down and bring him back into a space. Um, uh, and, and then one of them like taps, taps themselves. Um, I know some people wear like a little band and ping the band, um, but one of them will like tap, tap themselves on their like thigh or on their hand. Um, and the other one, sorry, is music again. So we've got two that have got music, but they've all got like different levels. Um, and um, I'm actually, try, I'm going to try, hopefully going to try something out with the younger players in regard to this. So like looking at, um, we're looking at maybe like a, a numbering system in regard to where, what they feel they're at when they come to training. Because um, the other day they, they got really frustrated. We was playing a game and there was no referee. Um, and some of them was getting frustrated in regard to the, the decisions that was that they were making. They were like under 11 age group. Um, so that just coming in towards that um, adolescent period. Um, and and I we sat them back down at, at, in one of the breaks and I, I just kind of reconnected with them and said, remember what we spoke about resilience? This is resilience. What does resilience mean? Um, so if you've spoken to them about different ways of either bringing themselves down and getting themselves into a good place or if you've done work with them before in regard to resilience and confidence and self-esteem you can actually bring them back to that state if you reinforce what they already know mm. i'm not sure if that's answered your question no no it does and it's it, you know i i think i would have said some something uh, not to that level but something <laughs> similar where it's Yes, okay, they can't do those things necessarily. Well, some of them they can, but they can't do those things in in the game. But the point is that we're giving them opportunities to learn to regulate. And, and the, the better they get at it, the more the likely they, they are. Right, they get quicker at yeah. it. It becomes stronger. It's that myelination that you were talking about before. So, yeah, it's frustrating when we're trying to uh, do these things in – coach ads that we're trying to support coaches in doing it and it, it you almost get that well it didn't work it, they come back with that too too quickly yeah. right because and it's it's a longer process this yeah it's not gonna it, it, if if a child or a young adult hasn't has no concept of it you're retraining the brain again at this age so you have to do it it will take time mm. it's not going to happen overnight it's going to take time right. um so uh, as a coach, we have to retrain ourselves. So we're retraining the players' brains that we're working with, but we're actually retraining ourselves in regard to how we deal with that. So I think retrain is like a really good word. You're yeah. retraining the brain, but you're retraining you as well. Right. Yeah, it gives really gives that sense of it being a, a slightly longer journey. Jackie, this has been brilliant. I'm sure I could talk to you about it for for many more hours. Uh, so, uh, you know, thank you so much. I've, I've been, personally, I've enjoyed that a lot. So, so selfishly, it's been brilliant. <laughs> I'm sure those listening in have have enjoyed it as well. Uh, do have a, a last question for you, as as always, which is if you could have an audience with one person, who would you choose? Oh. oh. You've thrown me now. <laughs> <laughs> Take your time. 
So it would probably be. <laughs> I've got two people in my head, but um, so I will go for like a footballer, and it'd be a footballer I admire. So I'd like to speak to him. I've read his autobiography, so I'd like to speak to him in regard to like his journey and how he overcome some of the things that he's gone through. So it would be Iniesta. Iniesta, really? Well, yeah. give us give us an example of something he he dealt with. Uh, one, he's like size. So like he like, was, um, uh, people knocked him um, and he had a crisis in regard to like his confidence um, went um, due to like his size when he was growing up through this kind of stage. Mm-hmm. So this adolescent period. Um, I think he obviously, he suffered in relation to a few injuries as well, which he was at his peak then he got a bad injury and he was left out of the side and then he eventually made his way back into the side and became very successful but also I think he's very underrated in regard to what he actually did on the pitch um because uh, I think he 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 is he still is um he still is and does impact the game in quite a different way to how people see him Mm, mm. yeah there's elements of it that are unseen and i i think perhaps bush gets of you know the same era is is similar right that there's kind of yeah there's some things that just go a little bit unnoticed unless you're really looking for it but clearly there's that connection again to the adolescent brain so that's uh that's a great choice uh, jackie thank you so much for your time today if, if anyone wanted to reach out to you what would be the best way to do so um, so I'm on Twitter and I use Twitter for like kind of work stuff. Um, so it's JB underscore coach um, on Twitter. So anyone can um, touch base with me there. I'm more than happy to answer any questions. Yeah, I'll make sure that that's tagged in the description. And it just leaves me to say welcome to the tribe. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I really appreciate you asking me to come on. So thank you. That's it for episode six of season three and our thanks to Jackie for giving her time and insight to us today. The conversation doesn't stop here though. We're following up this pod on our online network, thedevelopertribe.mn.co, where coaches and educators are meeting to dive in further to our practice and understanding. What's more is you can work with Jackie directly as part of Recode, our multiple mentoring service, where we help you create your coaching reality. Just reach out via the network for more details and to set it up. In the meantime, and as ever, thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week.